If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we're going to get there in just a couple minutes. Let me mention a couple things that Micah did not. Um, We're going to have a fearless update on uh, this coming Wednesday. Uh, Fearless is an initiative we took on last year uh, to build a new building, tear down part of this building and build a new building so that we have a little more space, that we have room for our kids and children and growing children's ministry and growing church. And so... um, A lot of you committed to that, and uh, we haven't said a whole lot about it. We've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes, so I'd like to give an update to anybody who would like to come hear about that in this room Wednesday night at 6.30. We'll have some uh, coffee and refreshments, just a little bit. Uh, It's not a meal, but just uh, come hang out and talk about that. And and maybe you weren't here when we talked about that. We'd love to have that conversation with you as well. So that's this coming Wednesday at 6.30 right here in this room. Also, small groups are organizing starting in the next week or two. Uh, If you'd like to find out more or if you've never joined a small group, man, this is just for you. Um, And so we'd love to have that conversation with you. Uh, You can email us or go to the small groups page on our website and you can find information there and we'll follow up with you. If you have questions, you don't know uh, which group to be in, you can stop by the welcome table uh, uh, on the way out today. Also, we're going to have a membership class next Sunday um, from 4 to 6 p.m. If you're new to Two Rivers or you've never been through that and you'd like to find out more about who we are as a church and how you can partner with us in our mission to love God, love each other, and love the world, we would love to have that conversation. You can sign up on our website or shoot us an email at info uh, at tworiverschurch.com. And for anyone who's a guest, um, we'd love to connect with you. The QR code on the chair in front of you is a great way to do that. And we would love for you to try five Sundays with us. It's just an opportunity for us to get to know you. And um, you get to know us, and we can give you a little more information through that process. Uh, I've, been, I've been watching the news this week. Is anybody watching the news? And I've been in search of some good news, and I am having a hard time finding any good news. Kind of the uh, big story outside of the weather over the last week uh, has been the plane. Did you guys hear about this? The plane that lost an exit door. Um, mid-flight. Did you see it? Imagine you just get buckled in. Uh, anybody flying this week? Okay. <laughs> you just get buckled in and take off. You've got headphones on. You've got a movie going, probably watching the Two Rivers live stream from somewhere where you missed. I understand. Imagine you're, you're get, you take off, and at about 10,000 feet, an exit road door flies off. It happened this past week, I think it was last weekend, on an Alaska airline, called them out, flight. Uh, from Portland, Oregon, uh, I, saw, I saw where a young man who was sitting close uh, had his shirt ripped off. Like, there's a lot of anxiety I have about flying anyway, but m- losing a shirt, I had ne- that had never occurred to me. So now uh, a little bit more nervous to go fly. But can you imagine? Um, the report that I saw was told from the perspective of a lady who was on the flight. She said there was a loud noise, then she saw this gaping hole, and then the oxygen mask came down. And then a shirtless man clamors into the seat next to her, right? Um, It would be kind of a a, sort of a weird thing to happen. But luckily, there was no one sitting in the two uh, seats closest to the exit door in that row. I think because those seats cost more. Like, nobody bought those seats. Um, So thankfully, nobody did. And so this week, when I watched the news, there was a lot of follow-up to this investigation of what had happened and whether the... Other planes could have the same problem. Uh, I think there's a certain jet, I'm not sure exactly which one it is, um, that has been grounded until the investigation determines if this was just kind of an isolated incident or if there's a problem with planes, they could lose their doors at any moment, um, that kind of thing. And so 
I'm thinking about this and thinking about this series um, we're teaching through this month. And having watched this all week, it occurred to me, bad news initiates blame, doesn't it? Right? When we hear bad news, um, think about this. When you hear of uh, you know, something bad in a community or in somewhere like a murder, there's an investigation. There is an inquiry, right? Uh, when you hear about um, bad things going on with the economy, there, there's some blame, right? Everybody's pointing fingers at everybody. We hear about things going on at the border or the stock market or somebody embezzled something. We want to know who it is. There is always some uh, blame to be given, and bad news initiates blame, even something as simple as the weather, right? A lot of times we hear about bad news. Well, guess what? Now we're going to talk about climate change, right? So um, even in something as sort of you would think vanilla as something that happens every day, when there is bad news, it initiates blame. There's some kind of an investigation or inquiry into what happened and who's to blame. In a climate where every news cycle seems to be dominated by bad news, I'm determined every week to find some good news. So is anybody mad if we start with a feel-good story this morning instead of talking about planes and, and doors flying off? Here's an ABC News video. I love this story. Let's watch this. Beautiful music can soothe the soul, bring a smile to your face, or even a tear to your eye. CBS's Steve Hartman has the story of a young musician that will do all three in tonight's On the Road. Yeah. To 11-year-old Jude Kofi of Aurora, Colorado, this surprise was music to his eyes. Obviously, whoever said the best things come in small packages was never gifted a grand piano. Jude's father, Isaiah. So one day it just shows up at the house? Yes, all for free. Who does that? The answer in a moment. But first, the reason. About a year and a half ago, Jude's dad heard a noise coming from the basement. There was an old keyboard down there, but no one knew how to play it. Certainly not his autistic son, Jude. Or so he thought. Isaiah then got Jude a larger keyboard to see what more he could do. And boy, could he do. The kid never had a lesson. No one taught him any of this. How do you explain that you're as good as you are? It's a miracle. You think it's a miracle? That's what I prefer. Bill Magnuson prefers that too. Is he special? He's beyond special. He's Mozart level. It's coming from somewhere beyond. Bill is a piano tuner. He saw a local news story about Jude, heard him play, learned how his parents immigrated from Ghana, how they're raising four children and sending money back to Ghana. What resources are left over to help this special little soul? Yours. Yeah. Using an inheritance from his father, Bill bought the piano, spent $15,000. He has promised to tune it once a month for the rest of his life. Very nice. And he's even paying for Jude to get professional lessons. We're family now. Somebody to just love your son like that by making sure that his future is secured. We are super thankful. Yeah. Press the pedal. Caring for other children as your own. The defining note of humanity. Steve Hartman, On the Road.
in Aurora, Colorado. Good story, right? I'm a little choked up. I watched it 10 times already. Um, I can't say enough good things about Bill Magnuson, the benefactor in this story, uh, the man who gifted the piano. Now, Jude, the little boy, he's amazing, right? But I can't praise Bill enough for having the, who thinks of that, right? Having the idea and following through and gifting this special musician a grand piano. It, it really is amazing. It makes you, makes you feel good, warms your heart. And think about it. If bad news initiates blame, then good news triggers praise. I immediately am drawn to Jude, this kid, right? He's, an ama he's amazing. But I want to praise Bill, who saw an opportunity to give someone uh, and help someone and followed through with that thought. I can't say enough good things about him. Last week, we determined that the Greek word euangelion, uh, euangelion or gospel in the New Testament means good news or good message. And the gospel or good news about Jesus is for everyone. It's not just for certain people or certain countries. It's for everyone around the globe. And this morning, I want us to focus on this idea of good news and praise. Let's look at another story of good news from Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So Jesus has begun at this point in his life and in the gospel or good news message that Mark's writing, um, and his popularity, Jesus' popularity is growing. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus heals a leper and he tells him not to tell anyone. He was, he was already getting inundated. He was getting overwhelmed with people who were trying to come to him, um, not just to hear the message, but a lot of them just to be healed. And so apparently the leper does tell someone because Jesus goes back to his home area uh, near Galilee. And when he shows up in Capernaum, he begins teaching and a crowd shows up. I read this week that possibly this was Peter's house. And here's Mark's version of what happens next, verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get, in, get to him, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat and the, the man was lying on. So this is one of my favorite stories from the Gospels, from the life of Jesus, and I've, I've preached it several times. Four friends hear that Jesus is in their town and teaching at someone's house, so their thought is not to get a seat for themselves, but to bring their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus. The trouble is, because he can't walk, it's difficult, right? They, they pick him up by the mat that he lays on, and they carry him to the house. When they get there, it's a packed house, literally. You couldn't wiggle into the room, let alone carry a grown man in on a stretcher. I think if it were me, I would have been thinking about a plan B. Like, how do I, how do I strategically find the place where Jesus might exit and I can catch him on the way out? 
Or maybe we could, uh, do we know any, can I look in the window? Do I have any friends that might be in the room that I could maybe ask them to come see my friend? There, there had to be some other way, right? That's where my brain would have gone. But that's not what these men did. They, they took matters into their own hands. They carried the man on this mat onto the roof and literally tore a hole in the roof and lowered the man down into the room with Jesus. I love kind of putting myself in that room. There had to have been a point where um, there was some hubbub, right? And people in the room, they're listening to Jesus, and I'm sure it was all uh, well-mannered and polite inside the room, and all of a sudden, some dirt starts to fall down, right? And then a little light starts to filter into the room. And before you know it, everyone is fixated on what's happening in the roof, right? In the ceiling, which was the roof of the house. And before you know it, this uh, man is lowered down into the room with Jesus. What Jesus does is unexpected. Look at verse 5. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. The man came to Jesus so that he could walk again, but instead, Jesus offers him forgiveness. Now, again, I try to put myself maybe in his place. I wonder if he was a little disappointed, right? I mean, the most obvious thing, the reason he was there, the thing that determined so much of his life was his problem, right? His affliction, this paralyzation. I wonder if the friends watching from the hole in the roof were like, wait, what? You know, like, that's... That's not, we all need that, you know, we, they kind of make it okay, but that's not what we brought him here for. It's a greater gift, but it's not why the guy was there. But Jesus had a greater plan. Look at verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The paralytic and his friends were opportunistic. They found Jesus in their town. They knew where he was. They brought him. They tore through the roof. They brought their friend to Jesus. But Jesus used the opportunity to teach something greater than physical healing. Verse 8 says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The religious leaders in the room, the teachers of the law, they had a seat, but their hearts were not pure. They were not there to receive but rather to accuse. And Jesus knows their thoughts. And he leverages the moment to prove that he's more than just a faith healer. He is God in the flesh. And what the religious leaders are thinking or maybe whispering to themselves is 100% accurate. They came to the right conclusion, but for the wrong reason, right? What they're thinking is, who has the authority to forgive sins except God alone? And Jesus says, I want you to know that I have the authority to forgive sins. And then he says the words the man was waiting to hear. 
So get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 12 says, so he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, I have preached this passage before, as I've said, and I focused on the friends. Their faith is amazing, right? Their faith needs to be lauded. Uh, what does it mean to be a roof crasher for someone? It's a good sermon, right? I think you could also focus on Jesus. Obviously, he's proving that he is God in the flesh. You could set your sights on the religious, the teachers of the law. We could be challenged to focus more on faith in Jesus, not protecting our religious ideas or systems. That would be a good sermon. A great sermon would be to look at the difference Jesus made to the man who was paralyzed. It changed his life. It changed his eternity because he was also forgiven. All great angles, great lessons we can pull from the story. But today I want to focus on the response. I think this story points us back to good news. What do we say? Good news triggers praise. I see three responses in this passage. First, the first response is obedience. Jesus said, I tell you, verse 11, take up your, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. The man didn't hesitate, did he? He obeyed. They always say in, in negotiating or in sales, I've had a, c- a couple of sales jobs in my life. When you get the answer you're looking for, when you get to the yes, what do you do? You shut the door, you go, you take the yes and you go. You got what you wanted, right? That's what this man did. When Jesus said, get up, take your mat and go home, that's exactly what this man did. He got up, he got the answer he wanted, so he got up and he went home. Later, Jesus tells the disciples in John chapter 14, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you, will, you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus is pretty clear. Faith is connected with obedience. Matter of fact, if you say you love God, yet James says you don't love the people around you, and it kind of makes you into a liar. Faith really isn't faith unless there is a connection to a follow-through, to obedience. Biblical faith includes both belief and trust. James says, but any, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. There's a direct connection between faith, what we know to be true, and what we trust in our hearts, and then the things that that compels us to do. If we really believe that Jesus is God, then we will follow through with our actions. Our deeds will match our hearts and minds. Obedience follows faith. The second response I see is amazement. Jesus said, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. Probably one of the uh, 100 understatements in the Bible, right? They were amazed. I think it goes without saying that the man who was healed was amazed, but Mark says this amazed everyone. Everyone included the friends, the other people in the room. Everyone even includes the teachers of the law, doesn't it? They were the ones who pushed back when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. They called that blasphemy. 
But now, all of a sudden, they're amazed. I love the part, just, it's just, uh, just a subtlety of the scripture where it says, he walked out in full view of them all. He didn't take a, um, a different way out. He didn't ask someone to help him out. He grabbed his mat, and in full view of everyone, including the teachers, he left. And everyone was amazed. If you have experienced the life change that following Jesus brings, then there is a good chance that you have experienced the same amazement. See, I believe the Bible contains the right way to live, how to love and how to be loved. The teachings of Jesus contain some of the most practical advice for us. And I think if you just go by what the Bible teaches, read the Proverbs, the Psalms, uh, look at the life of Jesus, take his teaching to heart. If you just live by those things, your life is going to be better. But if that's all the Bible is, then you've missed the amazing part. I believe if you live by the principles of the Bible, it will make your life better. But if you believe and trust in Jesus for everything in your life, your life will be just more than just better. It will be amazing. Something amazing happens when you surrender to Jesus. And the final response I see in this passage is praise. Kind of back to full circle. Get up. Take your mat, go home. He did. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. See, good news triggers praise. They praise God. We have never seen anything like this. When you, when you see God for who he is, when you see Jesus for who he is, our natural response is praise. So let me ask you a question. Why are we here? Not like existentially, like why do we exist? But I mean, like, why are we in the room today? Why do we come to this place? Every week we gather in this space. We have music. We have prayers. We have teaching. But why? See, our, our, our mission as a church is to love God, to love each other, and then to love those around us, to love the world. We call it love three or love cubed. And our mission is rooted in Jesus' teaching. Mark chapter 12 records it. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul with all your mind with all your strength and the second is like this love your neighbor as yourself there is no commandment greater than these so jesus says the greatest commandment is to love god second is similar that's to love your neighbor john says that our love of god is initiated by god's love for us like we don't come up with this on our own we're responding when we love god we respond to his great love for us we love, John says, because he first loved us. So here it is. We are here. We're in the room because God has loved us. He sent Jesus, and for those of us who have experienced this love, for those of us who have heard and responded to the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the natural thing for us to do 
is praise God. Right? Good news triggers praise. And when it becomes so real to each and every one of us, when God has changed our lives, when we have responded to the great love of God, our natural response is to praise him. And the cool thing is that this good news isn't just for a select few. The good news is for everyone. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Lord, we're just so thankful that we have heard the good news, that we have found out how much, Lord, you love us, that we can sort of lean into this idea that that you love us so much that you sent your son, Jesus. And Lord, that is good news for us. And Lord, that is good news for everyone. So I just pray that as we think about this, that our hearts would be moved to love you and our natural response would be to praise you. Not just in this place, but as the psalmist says, from the rising of the sun till the place where the sun sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Lord, in everything we do, in every breath that we take, with every word that we speak, with every action that we have, let our lives praise you. Because the natural response, Lord, to good news is praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 